0: Episode 98 with Andrew Hartzell. Join us as we get to know the Brazilian percussion music-making community one interview at a time. This is Diana.
1: And this is Courtney. I'm excited that we have have done this episode with Andrew. Yeah. He's,
0: it's been a long time coming. We actually had ar- arranged to do this a while ago and just life happens sickness happens and yeah we both got (laughs) sick i think yeah and this was before the
1: pandemic
2: (laughs)
0: so uh yeah it's finally it was good to finally get him on the on the show
1: andrew hartzell is the musical director of samba savannah Established in Savannah, Georgia, in 2013, Samba Savannah is a community-based educational organization dedicated to teaching and performing Brazilian samba percussion styles. The catalyst for Andrew's serious study of Brazilian percussion started with capoeira, and it was through those connections that he was able to find the teachers and fellow musicians who have expanded his knowledge and skills over the years.
0: Andrew has had the good fortune to have studied with Negu. Gato, Mestri Almiro, Mestri Jorge Alabe, Mestri Ayelton Nunes, Mestri Jonas, Carlinhos Pandero Gioru, uh, Dudu Fuentes, Marcio Peter, Wagner Santos, Pitoco Giera, Mark Lampson, Michael Spiro, Brian Davis, and Francisco Marquez. He has for many years performed as a percussionist in other groups, playing a wide variety of music. In addition to his musical pursuits, Andrew owns and operates a solo woodworking business, designing and building custom furniture and cabinetry. And, as you'll hear in the uh, podcast here itself, Andrew was a former Portland <laughs> and mm-hmm. Lion member, so uh, he's got ties to to our community here.
1: Yeah, he was there from the beginning. Yep. Yep. We are still supporting Hichimo Solidario. These are, this is a nonprofit in Rio that is helping to support the, the Hichimistas, the percussionists from Rio Samba schools during the pandemic. So um, there's a big shortage on food, shortage on jobs and all of that. And Hichimo Solidario is helping out with that situation. So uh, consider if, if your uh, wallet is feeling really heavy, purse is feeling, weighing you down, Consider donating to them. They have a PayPal account that you can you can send them money. They're doing a Christmas drive right now, so mm-hmm. so it's a great time of year to send money to them. Yes, it is. So think about it. They're great. Sheena Duostasio, the one who's who put this whole thing together, is just a, a sweetheart of a man. So uh, consider donating to them today, and thanks.
0: If you have some uh, after you donate to Hichimo Solidario and you might have some extra cash, consider um, joining our online community on kofi.com. That's co uh, com slash the Brazilian Beat. Um, this podcast is free, but, you know, it does take a lot of time, equipment, money. If you do have the means, it would be great to uh, see you as one of our contrib- contributors. Uh, we have a lot of listeners that have uh, taken different routes they're paying like a few dollars a month or they're making one bulk sum and we appreciate all of them so, yes thank you um, so much
1: shout out to you guys right now <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by GoSamba.net we have a an event coming up at Rhythm Traders Brazil Day December 18th the Lions of Atacada are going to be there doing classes and demonstrations of instruments so if, you guys are if you're in the area, uh, and you're, or if you're driving through the area, you can always go to Rhythm Traders and check out the inventory of, of real Brazilian percussion instruments there in the store. So, so check it out! GoSamba.net! So in addition to uh, supporting Hichimo Solidario, one thing you can do is sign up for the raffle at Rhythm Traders in Portland. We're giving away a Kaisha. And all the proceeds will go to Hichimo Solidario for their their Christmas drive, so check it out. Also, stay tuned till the end for the Portuguese Chica do Gia with Luciana Ginis. We've got one of those for you. Speaking of which,
0: um, we talk about our Portuguese class a lot and we have Luciana on our podcast. and if you're interested, consider uh, signing up for uh, Portuguese classes with Portland's Portland Community College. There's still room. I she just mentioned it last night in our class. Uh, there's Portuguese level one, level two. There's yoga in Portuguese, and uh, also fun with Portuguese. So, if you're interested, uh, it's a fun time online. <laughs> it's my social outing of the week. <laughs> Um, Taking Portuguese class, and we have volunteers from Brazil, from the US, and it's always a
1: really good time. Yeah, and Luciana is teaching level one, which is kind of a rare thing. I think she Mm -hmm. usually only teaches level two in the higher level classes. So she's actually teaching level one and PCC, hot tip from the inside, PCC might be um, going back to in-person the term after this coming term, so it might not be available (laughs) online anymore. I want. Yeah, yeah. so it might. I don't know. They're they're pushing things to open back up, so we'll see.
0: Yeah, and it you know you can take it from wherever you are. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've had we've had folks from Massachusetts, from Texas, yeah, other states. uh, So yeah, consider joining our little
1: Portuguese circle. All right, we hope you guys enjoy this episode with Andrew Hartzell.
0: Good morning, Diana. How are you doing? Hey, Courtney. I'm fine. We fell back last night. <laughs> Not literally, but... And so.
2: mm-hmm.
1: Here we are this morning, ready for
0: the dark days of winter.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes.
0: Who do we have on today? We have a friend of the podcast, Andrew Hartzell from Savannah, Georgia. Welcome.
3: Thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to hear you too.
1: Yeah, you too. You got a great voice for podcasts.
3: Wow.
0: Well, thank you. <laughs> now, Andrew is a long time... Uh, he was actually here in Portland a long, long time ago, right?
3: Yes. Yeah. Um, we arrived there. Anne and I arrived there from Baltimore hmm. in '95, '95, '96. I don't know if you remember the weather then, but that was pretty devastating. That was I a big know. flood and oh, and the mudslides and everything else. So, wow, that was quite a way to <laughs> yeah. arrive at a, at a city. I, gr- I grew up. I, I grew oh, up I in see. Portland, though. So I was, yeah.
1: Where were the mudslides, like in the West Hills area?
3: Or? Oh, yeah. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Whole whole hillsides came down.
1: Wow. Craziness. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The,
3: the river mm-hmm. crested, actually, oh, wow. in downtown. Wow. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so
0: uh, you grew up here in Portland.
3: Yes, I did. Uh, uh, moved from Southern California in um, 1968. Uh, I'm an old guy, so... Uh, but... Um, and uh, lived there. So I was 10 and lived there till I was about 22.
0: Did you have uh did you start in on music when you were a child?
3: Yeah. Um, there was a piano in the house. They, I think they bought that piano for my oldest sister, but, um, she left home at a certain point and nobody really played it. So I, I used to play the piano a little bit just by ear. Um, and I was very fortunate, uh, my house, my father had a really great record collection. Uh, and that's, I think what really sparked my interest in music. I mean, it was very wide ranging classical, uh, hmm. lots of great jazz or mm-hmm. as a good friend of mine calls it the African American classical music,
2: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. but, uh, everything, uh, you know, musicals, I wasn't too keen on them, but, uh but yeah, just, just really wide-ranging uh, recordings. Uh, my mm-hmm. elder sisters, of course, you know, the Beatles and all of that, too. So I was very much expo- exposed mm-hmm. to a lot of music.
1: Did you play in school at all? or Well, I mean, I guess if you grew up here, Brian grew up here, too. Did you guys know each other?
3: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably a little later in the story for sure. But mm-hmm. uh, he's a, bit, a little older than I am. But um, uh, I do remember once... Uh, crashing or somehow being at a house party where you peppa was playing uh, okay so that was yeah so brian uh, all those guys Al olgren all of them uh, uh a schoolmate of mine was dan Schaffler, who later oh, on was cool. crazy eights and uh, lo- a lot of friends yeah who are were involved in music and um yeah so i got to hear some really great people
2: that's
1: cool did you play in Yeah. Did you play in school at all, you know, in band or anything like that?
3: Um, I went to a private school. My parents taught it. It was a Catlin Gable. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really play. It was it was more of a private thing, I think, for me playing the piano Mm. and whatnot. But I so I didn't really play in band, Um, sang in the chorus, that kind of thing. But um, and they just didn't they did have a music program, but it wasn't wasn't that extensive mm-hmm. at that time. So, um, uh, I didn't really play instruments. I knew, you know, I had, there were people in the school that were really fine instrumentalists, um, French horn and cello and lots of things, but I, I think mostly they had private lessons. <laughs>
2: sure. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and as far as Brazilian music, uh, again, it was the record collection that really mm. got me in, interested in that. And, uh, I would have to say it would be, um, people like Lorindo Almeida, classical Brazilian guitarist, uh, uh, that just really caught my ear, uh, just the sounds of that and, uh, his use of, uh, and compositions mm-hmm. of Villa Lobos and uh, using some of those folk melodies and things in, in their compositions. And, uh, then I just, I just started buying records, you know, honestly, uh, I started buying, uh, I bought a couple of Bola Sechi albums, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and just, just, it just really hit me to the, to my soul. You know, I just, there's something about the rhythms and the music just really got me even at that age. Uh, and then of course I listened to, uh, uh a lot of jazz, uh, and, um, uh, uh Chick Corea, for example, and that's where I was introduced to Flora Parim and Ayoto Moriera, and uh, then I started to explore their recordings and uh, still have a great double album that was a reissue of their first records with Sivuca and Hermeto Pascual Mm -hmm. and Ron Carter, and you know, that was a great recording, still is Mm a great recording. And uh, years later, met them in Baltimore, and uh, they were doing a show, and and it's great that you'll love this. So the band was Ayurto, mm-hmm. Flora, Ricardo Pasochi on guitar, Celso Alberti on drums. Oh, wow. <laughs> Gary. Oh, shoot. Can't think of it. Gary. Uh, he's a bass player. Uh, you guys probably know him. He was at camp. At some, oh, man. I'm sorry. I can't remember his name. Uh, and Marco Silva on oh, wow. keyboards and piano. <laughs> so I met all of those guys back in the early 90s. Wow! Yeah, so that was great, and uh, the whole band came to our house. and <laughs> And my wife Anne Ann had 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 lived in uh, Brazil for uh, six months or mm. so when she was nineteen in college in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and it was very cold, and she saw a posting study in brazil (laughs) why not (laughs) yeah that looks warm right so she arrived there uh two weeks before carnival she was in salvador in salvador bahia (laughs) and uh, they were supposed to stay of course in in homes and no one had any room because it was carnival time and all their relatives were
2: We're
3: everybody's house house was full so they um, <laughs> put her up in a put her up in a hotel and um, uh, it was great uh, she, she just had at age 19 what an amazing time
1: yeah, go, and in, yeah go with the in flow. Bahia.
3: and then it very amazingly also she made friends she had no Portuguese none at all uh, but she made friends and she ended up living in the house of a maidji Santo
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, and it was in the Teheru. and and um, learned to cook the dishes from the Mai. So in her kitchen. So when uh, the band, Flora's band and Ayerto's band, uh, and volunteered, she said, "Would you like some Brazilian food?" And of course, they jumped at that. <laughs> they were ready, ready, more than ready mm-hmm. for that. And they all came over, and there were caipirinhas, and it was great. Mm-hmm. We're all having a good time. Wow. And the, the phone, the phone rang, and it was Ayerto, and he said, "Hey." Uh, we heard about this. Can we come over too? <laughs> and, you know, we we really weren't sh- sure about their privacy or whatever. So we didn't stupidly didn't invite them. But, yeah, they came over and it was great. Oh, wow. Uh, it was just a wonderful time. And Ayerto was really watching Ann closely because he's the one that does all the cooking in her house. So. Oh, funny. So, and Did
0: she, she pass
2: she, the test?
3: Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, with flying colors. So. <laughs> so yeah, so you know, I in Baltimore, which was where we were when all of that happened, I I uh, I started to uh, play in a band there. Uh, it, it started as kind of a one shot deal for an art- alternative arts festival that was called the uh, Ad Hoc Fiasco. Were you
1: playing percussion? <laughs> what were you playing?
3: I was playing. Actually, at that time, I was playing keyboards.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: So I did play, and the band was, it was just a silly thing, uh one-time deal, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the guy who started it, he he didn't really have a name, and then he thought, well, there should be a band called Mambo Combo, so that's what it was. <laughs> so is, that, is, that, is that about as cheesy as it gets, right? But, <laughs> but uh, so 11 years later, <laughs> you know, I'm still playing in that band, but um but it, it it developed into something actually that was a lot of fun um, and it was we were all it was all just Latin dance music mm-hmm. uh, mambos Sambas tangos all of that kind of thing and at that point with the tangos I started to learn how to play the accordion because you need that know. sound so mm-hmm. so uh, um, mm. and we decided at a certain point to just um, I can't remember whether it was me or all of us but we decided that it would be fun to do a little batucada at the end of our shows and march out into the audience and you know kind of get everybody participating mm-hmm. and um so we just started doing that uh we had no idea what we were doing but at all <laughs> <laughs> but but uh i think i played the surdo parts on a big old floor tom you know mm-hmm. uh, strapped strapped to you know and um but, you know, playing it basically by ear, I'd been listening to it. And I think the surdo part was, it was pretty close, but not 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 specifically, you know, not quite right. So, uh, um, but it was very interesting because on a couple of occasions, at least, uh, we'd be playing that and a Brazilian person would come up out of the blue and say, are you Brazilian? And of course, we'd say, no, we're, we're norte-americanos, gringos, and... <laughs> And we don't really know what we're doing. And they said, "Yeah, it's not quite right, but you really have the spirit, the feeling." <laughs> and they were just so, um, just so, uh, genu- uh, you know, generous and genuine about it. And that was when I realized that, you know, you know, I'm not trying to make a broad generalization here, but most of the Brazilian people I've met are like that. And I just, I just thought, wow, this is this is a cool culture and uh, I'd like to know a lot, a lot more about it and know a lot more. Mm -hmm. So, so we just kept doing that. And then at a certain point, um, this would be the later nineties and uh, Baltimore's crime level was uh, through the roof. It was just uh, a very bad time. And um, we just felt that uh, we just needed to change where we were. And, uh, my folks were getting older in Portland and we just thought, well, we'll come out to Portland and be there for a little while. And, uh, we had lots of different plans, but at any rate, um, came to Portland and I got a call at one point from a guy named Derek. Hmm and uh he said hey i i uh, heard you play samba <laughs> i have no idea where he heard that <laughs> from but he said yeah I, I heard you play samba and uh i said well yeah uh, yeah i do a little and uh he said look um um we're putting together this thing we're uh, getting a bunch of drummers together we're going to go do this thing at the at the red lion inn in
2: <laughs> oh
1: Portland, that's right, oregon yeah. Yeah.
3: You've probably heard yeah. this story before. From a different perspective, I want to so, hear your side. Right. Yeah. So, right. So, I. So uh, so of course, this was Derek Reed, um, who became a really, really good mm-hmm. friend. And uh, he said, yeah, uh, Brian Davis. And I said, Brian Davis, oh, my God. Because I hadn't even thought about him in a lot of years. So, uh, so I went down there, and I didn't really know what to expect. So, I brought my pandero. Um I should have brought my swordu because by then I had an actual sword loop and uh, which I still which I still have and still play. And uh, uh, no one had one, so it was kind of funny. But um, <laughs> but uh, honestly, honestly, it was everybody, all the dry- It was Brian. It was Derek. It was uh, uh, Scotty Wardinsky. Mm-hmm. It was I mean, just everybody. Nick Geffro. It was all of the all was of those Brian guys. Rice. Was, was
1: Brian Rice there?
3: I don't remember him being yeah. there. I don't remember him being, was he in Portland? For a while.
1: I don't know if it was during that time or not.
3: I think I would have remembered him. I don't think he was at that. At any rate. So what happened was it was such a fun thing to do that Derek and Brian and I said, you know, we just need to keep doing Mm -hmm. this. And uh, so we started practicing at uh, Derek's, the house he lived in up in uh, Albina.
0: So you guys had that one gig. How did that go
3: off? It went well. We were just playing for the people that were coming in on a bus or something. Oh. I don't even remember <laughs> what it was for, you know. It was one of those things, you know, just busloads of people coming in, and we just started playing, yeah. you know. Uh, but it was great. And I would also uh, connected with Mr. Almiro, mm-hmm. uh, Capoeira Mastery. Uh, and, in fact, it goes way back, but I knew Kathy Evelshen from years and years before. Oh, wow. Um, um, she taught dance at Portland State, I think, right. and um, at that time I was still let's see I must have been about eighteen and um, i I was actually hired by a Catlin Gable school uh, to run the theater that they have out there that was pretty much brand new at that time um, because they rented it to uh, professional groups and various chamber orchestras Mm -hmm. and things like that. And, um, you know, honestly I played hooky from my classes a lot and hung out in the theater. So (laughs) I kind of knew everything about the place. And, uh, so that was why they, they, um, they hired me actually to run that theater. So I I did a couple of shows with Kathy Mm -hmm. up there at the theater. So that was really cool. And I I didn't know until much later that she was responsible for Almiro coming to the country and all of that. So, So that that was that, and um, of course, uh, yeah, so we started practicing, and we ended up saying, you know, I think it was about five of us maybe at first, and Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it suddenly just shot up, and we had 15 or so 20 people at Derek's house and <laughs> the neighbors just said, no, 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 no. <laughs> so we gave them a big parade. We marched all through the neighborhood playing as loud as we could. And that was the last, the last one.
0: <laughs> the last hurrah.
3: That was it. But then we, then we were just various, various rehearsal locations for, for the many years after that. But uh yeah so and then it was also in the capoeira classes that one day um i i didn't really play capoeira i have back issues and i realized that i could injure myself really seriously if i Mm -hmm. went whole hog into that so but i did play the music uh and sing with them and uh one day he was he had a little brochure in his hand it was yellow and with green ink you know and uh and he just was talking to some of his students about it. And uh, and I said, What what have you got there? And Almiro and Almiro Style said, Oh, you wouldn't be interested in this. <laughs> well, what it was was the first California Brazil camp oh, brochure. Nice. <laughs> And uh, and of course it was very, very much right about right, well right, right so so uh, so uh, I said, "Let me see that." And uh, <laughs> gra- gra- grabbed it from his hand, and I said, I looked at that and I said, "I am going to this. <laughs> I am going to be there." So that was really the beginning of quite a lot of us, Brian included, uh, to go there and learn. From Jorge Alabe and all of these really wonderful Brazilian mm-hmm. musicians, how to really do right. this, you know, how to, how to play samba, how, how the parts really work and how the bateria is structured. And, and uh, yeah, it was great.
0: How, um, can you talk a little bit about how, I, obviously we weren't there, but can you talk a bit about how it was structured as far as the bateria classes, since it was more... Capoeira um, dominated
3: there? Yes. Uh, so, yes, it was definitely Capoeira dominated. In fact, uh, literally, I think the Capoeiristas may have slept maybe two to three hours a
2: day. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the rest of the time they were playing Capoeira. I mean, wow. deep into the night, early in the morning, you could hear it. I, I didn't mind. I mean, I would. I can go to sleep to Capoeira music yeah, know, easily. Yeah, that's it's, Yeah, it's beautiful. But I... You know the neighbors probably weren't all that happy, <laughs> but um, at any rate, no, yes. Yeah, so the so Capoeira was very very big, um, uh, and it was essentially George Alabe who was the, the Capoeira or the uh, Bateria mastery. Um, I can't uh, remember everyone. Luisinho was there. We did some. Uh, we did also some pagode hmm. style. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was great uh really really fun and just i hadn't really i'd heard that before but i really didn't realize what the instruments were Mm -hmm. you know and um so that was really fun and and then but essentially it was it was a a a batteria class uh and pagodi class and capoeira Mm -hmm. and dance Mm -hmm. absolutely the dance was Hmm. there um so it it was like that and I uh, I do remember uh I had my 22 inch sordus so I took that with me in the pandero and and uh, I had a tambourine and so I took those things and just oh my god I was a babe in the woods you know so there I was in <laughs> literally <the batteria. laughs> literally yeah the wood. <laughs> and, and I, in the woods and I you know it's and I I had I had one of the larger sordus so uh uh he put me at Primera, the first solo. And George is such a fantastic hepiki player. And so he he was playing out in front of us and uh, just doing his solo mm-hmm. style, mm-hmm. you know, at, at a pretty good clip, a pretty high tempo. And then, of course, he he, he plays the shamada, he plays the call. I I did, didn't hit it. I couldn't hit it. I couldn't hit the two, right? The the big note, and I just kept missing it and missing it and missing it and missing it. And everybody's looking at me like, you know, we can't start until you hit that <laughs> hit that beat, right? So so no pressure. So, so and, <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, and so I just I just it was like five times. Five times through, and I hadn't hit it yet, and and he's he's in front of us. First of all, he said at one point, he said, "You are primera a sort of, my friend. I can't help you. You're either there or you're not." Man. You know? So this was, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. so 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 then he uh, at one point the la- the last time before I finally hit it, uh, he was in front of me in front of the whole batteria like dragging walking back and forth dragging his one leg like a cripple <laughs> right so, so 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 finally then he played it again and i hit it and the whole batteria took off and he jumped about two feet in the air and he was just he's smiling at me and just he's like, like you
1: got it that,
3: that's yeah i mean this is the thing also it's like really tough but but then just so encouraging. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I have found with all of the instructors at Brazil camp, you know, they're going to be tough because they want you to, to, uh, do well. And, um, but yeah, they're there to, they just so supportive Mm -hmm. and, and that's, so I went for the first two years to the camp and I think, uh, then we moved away from Portland, um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but uh, the last winter we were there, so it's sort of like bookends. Um, I think I'm I'm sure actually it rained a little bit, some every day, and the sun didn't come out for three months. Yeah. <laughs> and I think both of us, there were other some some not life threatening, but some health issues and things, and we just we just realized also that we could never afford to buy a house or anything there. Just it's some things that we had thought. Might be possible, mm-hmm. just didn't look possible anymore. So, we uh, had been uh, looking into other places, and that's kind of a long story. So we don't really need to go into that. But we ended up getting work, uh, being hired to work uh, on the coast of Georgia, the sea coast of Georgia. So, uh, and we had seen a film, which I highly recommend to anybody who hasn't seen it, um, some years before in Baltimore, called "Daughters of the Dust." And it's about the Gola culture, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the in, uh, in, enslaved African people who lived primarily on the Sea Islands mm-hmm. of Georgia that are bare, barrier islands. And this culture is really, really strong here. Uh, weakened somewhat by younger people, not, not continuing the, the practices and whatnot, and also just the loss of land uh unfortunately mm-hmm. um by by white people coming in and developing things and so uh but um that film just really struck us and it's very impressionistic it's a beautiful film by julie dash uh daughters of the dust highly recommend mm-hmm. that oh, okay. at any rate we the opportunity came up to come to this that part of the world and uh we were okay. working on a well they call it a plantation. It was a former plantation. I would hesitate to use that word anymore. It's really a lab, uh, you know, a prison labor camp, is what it is, and so that's what I call them. But um, and this one had never really been that viable, but it was an incredible place. It was about seventeen hundred and fifty acres of, un- pretty much untouched land. Uh, climax, my, Maritime Forest and Marshland. And it, it, it was a, a really interesting place to come, mm. the first place to land here. So uh, that we, the, the Lions of Bajikada had been getting ready to do the first, our first Starlight Parade oh, uh-huh. that year. And um, so, but in the middle of that, I moved <laughs> <laughs> away and uh you know, I was disappointed. I, I really had so many friends there and whatnot, but it just it just wasn't going to work. So uh, at any rate, um, so I'm out on this pretty remote place, and um, and the Lions decided, and Brian decided, and Derek as well, that they were on tour with Prink Martini, or going on tour, and they wouldn't be back until literally the day of the parade.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So they, they actually sent me a plane, ticket uh, to come out to Portland and rehearse the group for the starlight Mm. parade. So we had a horn section that year. That was really amazing. So, um, so, uh, so I needed to practice. So I took my, my and I walked out to, uh, out towards the marsh and, and there's a, what they call a marsh hammock. It's a small little Island. Mm. Um, they're all over the place. And uh, and so I walked out there because I didn't want to bother anybody. And I thought, this will be a good place. So I got there and I started to play and I started to warm up and play. And something told me to not do that. Hmm. I just, I got an overwhelming feeling hmm. of I shouldn't do that there. And so I just stopped and I sat down on the edge of the hammock there and I just was looking out at the view of the marsh and the tree line the sky and the clouds and the birds in the marsh. And there were some feral hogs that are kind of endemic in the, hmm. the Spanish brought, brought the mm-hmm. hogs here mm-hmm. long ago. And, and, uh, there's kind of out there in the marsh too. And I looked, and I just thought to myself, wow, this looks exactly like Africa. Hmm. And it really does look like the west coast of Africa. So I find out later that I was in Africa because there are Africans buried on that Mm. hammock. And so it it was quite an interesting introduction to this area Hmm. of the country um, that has a lot of history having to do with the first enslaved Africans being brought to this, this, these shores.
2: Hmm.
3: And so, you know, I've looked into that a lot. Um, and, and the Gola culture and the crossovers and the things that, that have made it what it is. And, um, did, and one of the things that I found really kind of interesting here is when I tried to get people interested in playing, samba and drums. And, and I didn't get much, uh, action. Very, very few people were interested in doing that. And I couldn't, I really couldn't figure out why, because based on my experience in Portland, where it was, you know, Oh yeah, everybody, I mean, mm-hmm. just lots of people coming and trying to do it. So, um, so one of the things that I found out historically was that, uh, in 1739 in South Carolina, there was the stono rebellion it was the largest uh uh uh, revolt Mm -hmm. of enslaved people in the south Mm -hmm. and at that time uh, the drums were taken away Hmm. the drums were completely removed from any along with a lot of other things that uh, uh that Made situation even worse for enslaved people, but the drums were used as, as a communication device, and they were they were taken away. So drum culture, in terms of drumming, really was stopped in this part of the world for a long, long, long time. However, one of the things that keeps going on—you I mean, can take the drum away, but you can't remove the rhythm or the culture or the or the the uh, the spirits, you know, the things that that make people, that move people, and their history and where they came from. So, because of the islands, the sea islands, were isolated, um, a lot of the Africanisms and a lot of those things continued there, uh, and families, units weren't broken up quite as badly as they were inland. Mm. And so, uh, there's a long tradition of really complex hand clapping. Mm. Um, and shouting and foot stomping and, and body percussion Hmm. in that culture. So the, the, the rhythm kept going, (laughs) you know, the rhythm and the, and the songs and things kept going, but they took the drums away. So.
1: Wow. So do you think that how does you think that you couldn't get people interested in playing because of this history?
3: I don't really think so, but I think Savannah in itself, A, is a very, it's a small place mm-hmm. in comparison, say, to, to Portland, so just the number of people that are here that might be interested mm-hmm. is way, much, much smaller, and I think that had probably more to do with it, but I do think that there was a lack of something here. Yeah. Now, I, I say that drum culture, there's a gigantic drum culture here and its drumline. Right, and and in the and in the South, drumline is is, huge, yeah. is really pretty much the thing, yeah, right? Yeah. So, uh, so and that's it's awesome. Yes, I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it really, it really yes. is. So, but I think that that's been the more more of the focus, and I just don't think there were people to teach anything oh. else. But yes, there was a big gap there, at you know when the drums were taken away. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that 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 really was. It wasn't handed down so much. But a lot of it was, but not not the drumming. Wow. Yeah, it's it. This is a fascinating place to be, uh, in that respect. Uh, and you know, of course, I've read and studied a lot about the, the history of Brazil and and the enslavement of African people. And and um, it's interesting. Our waterfront here is cobblestones that were stones from english ships that were uh, it was a ballast. the ballast stone mm-hmm. and 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 it's a it's a bluff a river bluff so the, the the old walkways are all these old cobblestones and down to the waterfront and the whole thing is the whole thing is a complete tourist trap now but the, but the architecture is still there and it's it's certainly not anywhere near as old as say the pelourinho in in Salvador but it has a similar feeling because a lot of the same activities were going on hmm. in terms of enslaved Africans in that location, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a definite vibe there that's really really strong uh, yeah it's 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 interesting <laughs> some of the parallels
1: maybe you can confirm something that i have i can't remember if I read it or where I got this this uh information, but probably some internet website or something. But I've heard that the British, the reason why there's not as much of a drumming culture in the United States from the slaves that were brought here was because the British were very harsh and very adamant about taking away a lot of their drums, like you said. But the reason why New Orleans has more of like a drumming culture and why music is so strong there. And jazz became such a big deal was because it was owned by the French and the French let them let the slaves uh, practice their religion and, and music on Sundays. And the same thing with, you know, like in Brazil and things like that. Do you know if that's true?
3: Yeah. I, I actually think that that may have been true in some cases here as well, because one of the reasons that, um, that the Stono rebellion happened was that they were starting to impose some serious, uh, security acts basically as what it was. But before that time, and it became, it came from fear mm-hmm. uh-huh. because of course, the, uh, the, the African people that were enslaved and were here far outnumbered the white people. And so there was a lot of fear in that mm. regard, um, Uh, and also understood that these so-called plantations prison labor farms, um, (laughs) uh, were far, you know, they were spaced out quite a bit. There was a lot of, a lot of, they were isolated Mm. in some sense. So, so the fear factor I think was, was higher, maybe perhaps, certainly than in an an urban environment like, like New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but yes, it was fear because they, they feared an insurrection. And so they started this, they were going to impose this security act. And um, that was part, part of the uh, uprising in the Stono Rebellion. But also the Spanish were, some some enslaved people had escaped and, and gone to Florida, which was controlled by Spain at the time. And so the Spanish um, had actually sort of said, well if you can make it here, uh, you will be free. And, you know, essentially they were at war with England mm-hmm. for a time there too. So they, they were really just trying to upset the colonies and do whatever they could to hamper that the colonization there. Uh, but they the had their own slaves in Cuba. Oh, I mean, uh, oh yeah. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no, no, I know. Puerto Rico and everywhere else. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say, uh, no, I'm not trying to say they were good guys. I'm trying yeah, to say yeah. they... It, they it were was just really, trying to
1: be a poke, poking it at was, the ex-
3: exactly. It was a yeah. warfare sort of thing. So, yeah. so they, so that's really what it really, probably really. Um, so, so that was part of it as well. So the word had gone out, but, but again, it was dramas that were used as a communication device, and so they realized, or at least felt that that was going to be a problem, and so they took it all away.
1: Right, right. But then I guess like the Portuguese in, and the the uh, Spanish and other the French like didn't seem to maybe have that fear as much. So they didn't clamp down on the music traditions and religious traditions of the slaves. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't know.
3: Well, I think it's, it's probably pretty complex. It would take us, you know, we would talk about this for hours. We should get a
1: historian. Yeah. (laughs) But, but, but also,
3: but also, you know, you can think about the origin of the cojón for example. And this is a rhythm. This is a uh, this is a, the drum of resist a, a, a drum of resistance because it's just a box. It's not a drum, right? And so mm-hmm. in, in Cuba, for for certain, and I think in Peru as well, you know, people played rumba and these rhythms on boxes, particularly at the waterfront where
2: mm-hmm.
3: where things came in boxes. And mm-hmm. no, it's no, it's not a drum. It's a box. Uh, you know, so it, I think I think. The drumming went on in certain places in any way that it could, and it's it's mm-hmm. a way to resist and hang on to what is what is yours and and to be able to pass that on to future generations. And I don't think I don't I think that's that had a lot to do with all of this. I think that was the primary motivation for that. But as far mm-hmm. as um, yeah, you may be right about the English, um, and this is an this was an English colony here in Savannah, mm-hmm. so. So it was probably very harsh, very harsh. Yeah. In fact, Brian the, the, has there is us... a
1: Oh, go ahead.
3: Oh, no, it, it's it, it's kind of gruesome, but there is a, a place on the way out to Tybee Island, which is our beach, um, Barrier Island close by. It's called Lazaretto Creek. And um, there's a, a Gula woman here who does a lot of historical work and um, has a museum. And she uh, is really working on getting something done there because it's uh lazaretto so the it it was a place it was a quarantine place so mm-hmm. the ships that came uh stopped there first and anyone who was not was sick or infirm or anything else was just thrown into the water there
1: Jeez. and so wow.
3: so the creek is full the bottom of the creek is full of bones Full, full, mm. of, full of full of bombs. Yes, yeah, it's, it's this mm-hmm. is a this place is really really loaded. But um yeah, it, it, wow. it's it's also incredibly beautiful and just mm-hmm. physically amazing. Um, and 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 there's still a lot of people and descendants of those people that are are just incredible here. And I just I love them. It's just really wonderful to be able to speak with them and and do things. We 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 always go out and do the uh, it's a weigh in for uh uh and and uh we play for that um for people to go and wade into the water uh, Mm -hmm. and and cleanse you know it's it's this is an old old african thing as you know and uh um, we we always play you know and for for the orishas on the on the beach for them so Mm -hmm. it's just it's just it's just a really grounding lovely lovely thing and I'm really happy to bring some of the things I know about it rhythmically into that sphere and then learn from them as well what they have to tell, you know, and, and the rhythms and things that they can show us. So it's it's something I'm really trying to work on is to, is to meld those things together in some way.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the evolution of your group in that area?
3: Absolutely. <laughs> so when I got here, uh nobody nobody was it was like crickets as far as Samba's <laughs> concerned. There there, was, there really wasn't anybody that uh was doing anything like it even. Mm-hmm. So that I was aware of and, and it turns out yeah, I was probably right. Um so I I um I gave up playing, honestly, uh, for quite a while. Mm. And I, I couldn't afford to come back to camp. Uh it just it was just I just I just just kind of got working really hard and just just gave up. I didn't play, um, didn't even practice for a while. It was just it was a pretty sad situation. <laughs> so uh, and then somebody invited me. It was a neighbor of mine. who was a bass player, and he said, "Hey, I'm playing with these guys downtown, and they're jazz players. And come on down, bring your bring your stuff, and you know, let's let's jam out a little bit." So took some things pandero and surdo and tambourine and went down there and um um sure enough i mean we played a lot of bossa nova and stuff and some pretty cool things and hooked up with those guys a little bit for a while and um and started teaching the drummer a couple of the drummers that i knew that and we did a little bachata a couple of a few times and then things kind of drifted away and nothing uh, nothing came of it but um uh, and then, um, at one point, uh, my wife, Ann just kind of looked at me and said, you know, uh, she just was, uh, basically, she says something missing from your life. You're not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're, you're just not, 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 uh, there's something missing. And, he, and she mm. just said, you know, you should go back to Brazil camp. And I said, "No, nah, no, no, we can't afford that. I can't do that. Da, 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 da. And she goes, no, no, you really need to go back to brazil camp <laughs> 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 i don't know what is trying to get no i don't think she's trying to get rid of me but <laughs> but um so i came back and um that was 2013 so i've been gone a long time
2: mm. uh-huh.
3: and um however um uh, wow it was like i'd never left except that it was like a hundred times more and so so amazing i just it was just a revelation to be back mm-hmm. in that in that whole crew and um uh yeah that was just amazing trying to think of who was the battery mastery that year and i think it was
0: yeah 2013 who was aylton
3: i think it was aylton aylton mm-hmm. yeah i think you're right maybe
0: his first yep. year
3: mm-hmm. and what and what a way to come back oh my god <laughs> i mean <laughs> i loved it. he he I think that the English, I think by the time he left, the English he had was everybody and everything. (laughs) He had those two (laughs) words, but what an, what a deep and just amazing person and what a generous bateria director. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so that was when I, that's how I came back. And, um, um and just the pagology, everything had just blossomed uh, to to this amazing level. I just was amazed, and hmm. I just left there, you know, floating on air. And I said, when I go mm-hmm. back, I'm gonna I'll start teaching again, start teaching. So that's mm-hmm. when I started, um, and I had you know maybe five or six people, um, a couple of which are still mm-hmm. with me all this time. And uh, um, people do come and go, as you know, from these groups and. Uh, that's that's life. But, uh, so we got pretty, we got going pretty well. And, um, uh, and then, um, then I did, there's a young gentleman who does teach capoeira here. He doesn't really do the music so much, but, um, so I went and got in touch with him and, uh, played beating bow for them and taught them some things and taught them some samba and yeah, little by little things started to grow a bit. And, um, and, you know, more recently, um uh, I had some folks that you're about probably about to meet. I think they arrived today in Portland, uh, Ben Austin and uh well, you know Doug Johnson, he, yeah. he was in the yeah, so he's in the group as well. He's great. So it's he's great. so great. I, I have I was
1: <laughs> I have him listed on our list of questions here, like yeah, he's yeah, it, here in the summers and there in the rest of the year. And yeah, right. he's, he's right. a great guy. Yeah.
3: Well, and he are, he came with a lot of, a lot of skill already. So it was mm. really great. Great. So, um, Uh, not specifically samba but for for drumming and stick control and all that so yeah um but uh but yeah ben and his uh, girlfriend marcella marcy for short um and so you know she bought a she bought a a cavaquinho you know and uh, ben plays guitar so we started to get uh, into a little the pagodi style and And it was great. It's great fun. Um, Unfortunately, they're on an extended trip right now, so I have no cavaquino player. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, people come and go. But but, uh, I am now um, teaching. I taught a workshop. uh, Let's see a week ago or so um was not very well attended i thought oh this is not going to work but at the it's at the savannah cultural arts center which is a really great facility um not basically small to medium facility but a uh, beautiful theater and a great dance dance room and um uh, but uh the other night was i i've got six classes so the first class was uh, this past wednesday and uh 11 people showed up and it was really fun um, so i think I think things are looking up a little and I'm yeah. hoping I can, I can, I can build the group up to something a little more, um, bigger. Yeah. Isn't it
1: amazing yeah. how, like, if you put on a workshop or you, you you, like you were saying, like not well attended or you like, you lose one key member, it can just be like, Oh, I can be so depressing, <laughs> <laughs> but then like something goes well and you're just like, yes, this is going to work. Like it's so. Yeah. Merc- mercurial is that the word mercurial. yeah, like, yeah. Oh, man well here, <laughs> it's such a here's a roller coaster
3: <laughs> well thank a thank god for the internet uh for me essentially and i wanted to add this in there because now so much is available from mm. brazil from direct mm. people that you know it's not the same let say as being in camp and being right there next to the person and the people and all that it's just that's that's irreplaceable uh being right, right yeah. there in, in the presence yeah. of of the teacher but um but oh my god i've just uh, my it's you know and thank god for so you're talking about key members leaving Like thank god for de santos because you know that was the first time i saw not the first time but the first time i saw someone really use you know, one person playing all three sort of parts, for example. Mm. So these kinds of things Mm. are like, oh, okay, that opens the door. Well, I've lost two people, but all right. If one person's really sharp and they work on it, they can play all those parts Mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's basically what I've had to do. Um, It's not, it's, it's more fun to have the much bigger full sound, but we can keep going no matter Mm -hmm. what. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Brian told us, I mean, before, the internet or before youtube was a thing you know you guys were just learning from like from records records yeah absolutely has told us that before georgie came up that the lions were for the shamada like the primera beat that you started counting at one so yeah 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 one (laughs) And then Georgie was like, what are you guys doing?
3: Well, well, yeah, yeah, Georgie. Yeah, that was well, um, actually, the thing that bothered Georgie the most was that the entire sort of section was high. So uh, that.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah,
3: (laughs) he he came over to me at one point. He said, my friend your sourdough section is high. They're all high. They don't, they're not, you know, so, right. so anyway, anyway, those are the good old days. Um, so yeah, we were backwards. We were backwards a lot. Um, uh, a, a young, a guy named Kim Atkinson, whom I, I still respect yeah. a lot. Um, he, he came and he helped us out before, before I think Georgie was there. Um, and that really was helpful. Uh, mm. um, Michael Spiro was there a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't really remember. That might have been after. I think it was before, but at any rate, I think we had sorted things out. But yeah, he, no, there were a lot of things that were funky, funny. uh, You know, it's kind of like, no, but I I think Brian understood that concept of clave but (laughs) of course we don't speak of it in 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 brazilian terms that much but it exists obviously but uh but yeah we 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 were kind of backwards (laughs) reversed here and there some parts were you know yeah crossed and you know all of that stuff right right. you you go through that and then you know just then you figure it out and all of a sudden it's like oh now it sounds the way it's supposed to (laughs) (laughs) or it sounds the way it does on the record right Right, yeah right yeah so but yeah, speaking, speaking of records, one of the things I, I heard long ago, I bought uh, uh, way back when I was first listening to Ayrton and the people like that. I so I, I bought an album that was a non such recording, a field recording, and it was called Black Music of South America. It was the first time I heard a Biedenbaum. I had no idea what it was. I mean, there was no picture, so uh, it was a street game somewhere in Bahia because it's uh, you can hear the horns harking and cars going by and stuff. So, but um, that just intrigued the hell out of me. And one of the other things that that was on there was from Colombia, and it was uh, drumming and a some sort of small stringed instrument and this thing that sounded like kind of like a trumpet, but, but weird, just sounded really weird. So I'm reading in the description, and it said. Uh, said, it's, it's a leaf. They're playing, they're blowing on a leaf, yeah, using wow. the leaf as a <laughs> reed, basically, Whoa. right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so then I started to think, I, I was pretty young at this time, but I started to think, so I mentioned before that I'd been to a Upepo show, a house, house concert or something. And there was Stan Wood and he played a thing that he invented or, you know, that he called a vibra band and it was a piece of latex rubber. And you gotta look this him up. He's he was really good friends with Brian and Brian can tell you about him. Hmm. But he he blew on this piece of rubber between his lips, an sure. and he think he stretched it between his thumbs, and then he would finger the one side with his with his right hand and blowing on this thing. He sounded like Miles Davis. Huh. Oh. Literally sounded like Miles Davis playing the trumpet. Hmm. And and I started to think, wait a minute the leaves right and this so that's the kind of thing that i've always just just always intrigued me and my brain goes after it you know i really like to see those connections where did this come from what is this you know and uh that was really amazing so yeah so i don't remember where we were but like hmm. that was a very big digression there but i just thought i'd put that in there we were talking about recordings and learning from recordings so yeah. Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, and that that yeah, and I did that for a long time. It it it's really difficult to figure out the count sometimes <laughs> from a recording. I'm much better at it now, of course, but um but being come being having become familiar with a lot of it. But um yeah, it's 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 interesting trying to figure it out from a record. Yeah.
1: Thank God but for we, YouTube. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
3: nowadays. But, you know, we did have a lot of help. Like I said, Kim Atkinson came in. Uh, Tim Briar was a really, really good uh, guy. He, he had, I think he had studied with Kim. And, you know, he came in one day when we were still practicing, I think at Derek's house up there. And uh, he said, Hey, wait a minute. That tambourine part is, it goes this way. So that was reversed. You know, we were playing it wrong way around. Uh, and so mm-hmm. the, you know, little by little by little, we just sort of just sort of corrected everything. Luckily, yeah. everyone everyone was just so eager that there was never any mm-hmm. argument, a much argument about it. I mean, it was some discussion. They're like, does it go this way, that way? Who knows, you know? But um, but yeah, we we got it together. And then Georgie was the catalyst for really making it happen correctly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
0: So your groups of. Uh- savannah samba right
3: yeah uh, samba savannah and that's that's basically yeah that's basically uh it's the organization um you know i just it's i just try to it's i just gave it that name because i thought it would be a good you know heading or title for a a community Mm -hmm. organization um i've had lots of ideas in terms of Uh, a performance group, a different name for that. That's associated with Samba Savannah, but we haven't quite really quite gotten there yet consistently enough to be able to, uh, to do that.
0: Now you were telling us before the, um, we started talking on the podcast that, uh, you just did a gig yesterday for a marathon. Mm -hmm. Are those the kind of gigs that you usually do things like that?
3: Yeah, we've played, uh, you know, we played, um, This was funny Uh, a couple of years ago. They had the first. This is Savannah, Georgia, for you. They had the first pride parade, actual parade Mm. in the street. Mm -hmm. And um, we thought there was going to be other, there will be other bands and music, or at least you know, recorded music on a float or something. Turns Mm -hmm. out we were the only music in the entire parade. Wow! (laughs) And it was about I'd say two miles maybe a two mile parade oh yeah,
2: uh-huh. and we
3: were the only, only musical sound. And it was, it was quite wow. something. Uh, but what I was really happy to see in Savannah was because there are a lot of, there's a lot of, mm, it's gotten worse over the last four years, but there's, there's a lot of sort mm-hmm. of anti anti stuff here. And, uh, I was a little concerned sure. about pride parade, you know? And, uh, so, uh, But we were marching down there and playing a lot of somber reggae and stuff because it's easy to do that, and people were loving that. So, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: and the sidewalks were five deep with people lined up, and everyone was just everybody out there. I mean, total diverse crowd, and everyone was cheering and happy Mm -hmm. and having a great time. And I just thought, okay, (laughs) this is all good. (laughs) this is all good so nice. but yeah I, I did not expect us to be the only groups so we've done a lot of parades we do martin luther king day parades uh we haven't mm-hmm. gotten big enough i don't think or strong enough to do the one downtown here because it's that's a big parade and all of the high mm-hmm. school and some of the college marching bands are in there and i i man we we got a lot of work to do to to keep up with them at mm-hmm. this point anyway right so uh but we'll get there we'll get there um and uh, so we, but we do uh, the one out on Tybee Island. So yeah, parades. Um, we've done a lot of a lot of marches, anti-violence, you know, anti-gun gun violence marches, and all kinds of things mm-hmm. like that. And uh, um, and we've played a few little gigs as a pagoji group, uh, little, oh, little cool. things. And so that that's fun, mm-hmm. really fun. We kind of mix it up because. Um, you know, do some bossa. we do all sorts of things. So, uh, you know, music popular MPB, a little bit of that. So, mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, we're doing a little, as I said, the group comes and goes, so it's really the consistency is difficult. Um, but it's always a challenge to just sort of say, okay, who, who do we have and what can we do?
0: Sure. Now, how do you, uh, how do you work uh, equipment? Is it all yours? Do most people buy their own? How does that
2: play? uh some people
3: really really have bought um, mostly from you, Courtney? I mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because oh great. I, because yeah, you've I, sent a bunch of customers to me. That's true. I have sent a bunch. What? I uh, uh, oh Bowl is gonna be angry at me when I no. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I'll try I'm trying to I'll try to spread it out a little bit, but um, Yeah.
1: Bola percussion, it, everybody.
3: Yeah. Yes, Bo- Bola is Bola, a dear friend and and yeah, he has some great and he, he makes beautiful drums. So mm-hmm. um, as far as Alphayas and whatnot, that's a great place to go. Um, you can fix
1: your stuff if it breaks.
3: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. So uh, yeah, and then Carl Dixon also in Colorado is doing a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I could plug a whole bunch of people here. This, no, that I, I, I am, you know, going back to to Brazil camp was one of the, my wife was correct. It was one of the best things I could do because it reconnected me with all of you and all of all of what's going on, and uh, yeah, that connection will be with me till I'm gone. So, you know, it's just really, really, it's an important part of my life for sure.
0: Yes, definitely. Connections come from that camp that
3: you know they're amazing. Yeah. yeah, the last time I was there, uh, the second to the last time I was there, I was there for both sessions, and that was wow, that was just especially mm-hmm. that, especially that Saturday night
1: yes time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> the, that's know, my favorite like Sunday, <laughs> Saturday of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it didn't happen it, it, in the last two years, but it, yeah. no.
3: And then, uh, you know, Sunday morning, the birds come back for a while. You know, it's <laughs> kind of, it's, it's really interesting. I, I just loved it. And, but I'll tell you, um, after the end of the second week, being, being all the way here in Savannah, I, um, I always spend a night in San Francisco because I don't want to leave the camp. I want to leave the camp as late as possible just mm, to stay. Right. There. And then, uh, by the time I get To by the time I would get to the airport and get a flight, I would, you know, I'd have to spend the night in Atlanta or somewhere anyway. So I just, you know, I usually stay in a hotel that night. And um, so I did and just was really on cloud nine from that whole experience. And then, you know, airports are always special. So I got, you know, it was okay. I get, (laughs) but I, but I flew all the way across, got to Atlanta. Pretty tired, good tired, but then I'm walking through the airport and all the TVs are blaring and the people mm. are pushing and shoving and it's just like just oh my god. People, There's something about wobble.
1: that airport too. Like the ceilings are really low and it's just yeah. oh that airport's <laughs> yeah. awful. Yeah. yeah,
3: so I just walked straight to my gate and I sat down and I just started to cry because I just oh. thought. Oh. No, no I, I just really thought, you know, why can't the world be like Brazil <laughs> camp, you know, because, you know, sure, I'm sure there's a few little altercations here and there or whatever, but very few and everybody's kind of working together and
2: mm-hmm. helping
3: each other out and, you know, and the food is so good, you know, but I'm just saying, you know, it just, it just hit me just that how, wow. how special that is and, um, yeah. It's just, we'll be back. We will. We'll be back.
1: I think so. a lot of it has to do, that vibe has to do with your phone doesn't work there. Like you can't mm-hmm. yeah. connect to anything. So like you're standing in line, people can't like check out and, you know, look at their Instagram you know, exactly. like, or whatever. Exactly. They They have to talk to the person next to them. And that's such a human connection that we don't have anymore. Like, not in Portland, but you're not necessarily on the West Coast, but in a lot of places, if you talk to somebody in the line at the grocery store, people are like, "Why yeah, are ooh, you talking ooh. to me?" You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. I'm. It's it, it's getting worse here. Uh, you know, when we first moved here twenty two years ago or whatever, um, it it was a lot less. I people, yeah, on the street, it, everybody said hello. You know, and mm-hmm. it's become less and less. And I, it's a shame, um, and it's one of the reasons we like love living here and liked living here we're happy to be here but Mm -hmm. um it it's gotten less and less and uh, you know it is a tourist destination so we have all of that going on um yeah it's kind of crazy but but it still is a pretty friendly place in that way um and people are quite open at least the people that live here um it's it's odd though i it walked downtown and it's it's a beautiful historic district and ann and i are fortunate that we live on a very on the sort of far eastern end of it but it's it's and it's which is good because there are no tour buses and we're it's quiet over here but um but yeah it's uh um the historic district is just packed with tourists now uh and and the main street is is kind of packed with tourists all the time almost and uh and uh it's odd though because there are not very many people that look very happy they're just kind of walking around Hmm. sort of sort of flat (laughs) and i can't figure that out when i travel i'm just i'm let's go see this let's go see that you know and ready and 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 happy to be seeing things and oh that looks like a good place let's go eat there and you know all these things that people just look like zombies but i think it has to do with what are they actually seeing or what are they experiencing are they so hooked into their mm. screen life that they they can't really fully experience reality uh, you know i don't know i don't know it's an interesting question but i'm observing some weird behavior that I, I can't figure it out
1: i think that's but the, the ma- magic of of Brazil camp like if they ever got internet or better, better cell phone coverage, it would, it would kill the vibe. <laughs> I think,
3: I think you're right. You know? And, um, and I think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, I think, gosh, this has been such a stressful couple of years. And I don't think, you know, it, it it's good, because I don't think A, we couldn't have gotten anybody from Brazil anyway, and um, Mm -hmm. boy, it would have been really, it would have been impossibly hard and really emotionally hard for Brazilian people to be here, and and it is for people that do live here um, to understand what's going on there. So it's, you know, through this thing. And how would we?
1: How would we have? kept distant you know social distance yeah. <laughs> like no few, way you know, no know a quarter of the size or like all these restrictions they were having like there's just no way they could have financially pulled it off you know made it worth their time
3: well i will say yeah. this uh in terms of my classes now they i have to do that and because of the city of savannah i think rightfully so the mayor has still uh, imposed a mask mandate and mm-hmm. and uh, i think it has helped a lot here so um So, uh, so actually my students right off the bat are learning the signal, the signals for, you know, what to do because, uh, you know, I can't really, uh, it's hard to communicate with a mask on. So, you know, and I I do lower it to say certain things, but we, and people have to, it's kind of tough on them because they've got to be spread out a little bit. So it's not like your normal bateria where you're really close. Mm-hmm. um so that's it's, it's a challenge it really is a challenge i, I yeah Brazil mm-hmm. camp I don't see how it would have worked at all. there's no way, and yeah. also as you said the the vibe there is so friendly and so close you know I just don't it just wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked,
0: yeah, no hugging or cheek kisses
2: or yeah
3: good luck good luck with <laughs> that, that wouldn't right.
2: work
3: <laughs> 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 i- th- i yeah I think we all would have broken down it would have just been very very difficult. <laughs> I yeah. I I do I'm to cons-
0: regroup and come back
2: stronger.
3: I'm certainly concerned and I hope I hope Dennis is doing well and, and Rich and, and everybody and that things are gonna be able to come back and, and I you know will support it in any way I can. It's a very yeah. special thing yeah. that that's unique, Likewise. I think. Yeah. Definitely. Or, you know. Yeah, so anyway.
0: Uh you would you were talking a little bit about your group. Um some of our questions you know have to deal with how you motivate your group uh, do you see that as an issue with your players
3: no I really don't I'm sure um, they're all
0: at different levels right right
3: right yeah and that that's a challenge for the teacher you know this is always a challenge uh, mm-hmm. and especially in a small group its is going to be that way because uh, people do come and go so you have people that have been there a while, people who are just coming in. Um, You you know, I really, we were just speaking about camp, and honestly, one of the things that I went to camp to learn was not only the rhythms, the techniques, and all of that, but also how to teach, Mm -hmm. you know. And Mm so watching very carefully and learning very carefully from Brian, from Georgie, from Ailton, from Mr. Jonas, from I mean, this wide, wide range of styles of teaching, um mm-hmm. all of them um and you know watching da- rosangela watching people dance instructors everybody it's it's this is really important mm-hmm. to me how how are they doing this how are they working this and, mm. and what's working what's not working but you know this kind of thing and um so that that's really where i have learned how to do that and so i've taken all those lessons and those examples and apply them to the groups groups of people that I work with here, um, uh, I have, you know, people that it's people learn at all different rates. And it's really, it's really difficult uh, to, to accommodate all of that at the same time. And as you, know, do you do
1: a beginner class, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Do you do a beginner class?
3: I wish I had enough people mm-hmm. that I could do that. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh-huh. I just have to incorporate everything as I go.
1: Yeah, that's um, hard. You know,
3: I've only ever had maybe 10 or 12 people at most. So mm-hmm. it's, it's small. It's very small. So, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, accommodating that is very challenging
2: <laughs> because
3: mm-hmm. every one of the instruments is critical and it has to be mm-hmm. played on tempo in the right place with the right part consistently for the whole thing to, to mesh and make, make the sound. And so this this is very difficult. It's like there's no easy instrument really. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, can very can you, can you get can very you give true. me something that's really easy to play? Well, uh, no, no. <laughs> I, yeah, s- s- some things may, might be a little more approachable, you know, in terms of technique, but not really. It's, yeah, it's, maybe be know.
1: the the water boy, like.
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, so it is. It is a challenge. It is a challenge. You know, you think different things. I think we. I was having a discussion at camp one time, one of these last times, and uh, Polly Serrano was there as well at the table. And I was talking about uh, somebody I had in the group that just couldn't quite get on tempo and didn't come in right or, you know, just was really struggling. And I was trying everything I could possibly try to get get it to work and you know we had some shows we had to do or something parade or whatever and so i put him on segunda the second surdu thinking well
2: mm. as long
3: as i've got a strong guy a strong person on the primera it'll it'll somehow work mm.
2: and
3: it it was rough it was a little rough but you know i you know i could the other surdu player could could you know kind of urge him on in so many words to uh to get with it um but there really is no, and, and, you know, somebody else, I can't remember who was sitting with us with Pauline and I, but so I would have put him on the, on the first sort. of and Pauline went, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, we, I think we both said that, you know, and I said, look, there's really nothing. I mean, you know, i go go bell. i go go. It's got to be, it's the timekeeper. You've got it. It's got to, it's it got to be yeah. It cuts
1: through. Yeah. You know,
3: you know, tambourine, forget it. You know, just no, 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 no. <laughs> And I, and still to this day, I've worked and worked and worked on it, uh, little by little, step by step. But, you know, nobody in my group really can caritate on the tambourine. No. Know?
1: Mm-hmm. So,
3: mm-hmm. so we're, we're basically at lots of designs, uh, telecoteco and, you mm-hmm. know, and keeping the beat, you know. But, but it, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's really it's hard. It's like a
1: journey. I mean, like learning any of the instruments, I feel like is. Yes. It's almost like a lifelong journey. It isn't just like, oh, I'm going to pick this, Mm -hmm. at least for me. I'm just going to pick this up. It's like, no, you have to commit many, many hours to practice to getting it right, especially Mm -hmm. tambourine and hippie and third. Like, Those are such technically difficult and rhythmically difficult and everything. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a journey. You have to be prepared. Yeah, yeah and and <laughs> yeah. you know, I I, yeah.
3: I tell I tell people, you know, all musicians, all musicians uh, playing any kind of music, there are many many lonely hours of just mm-hmm. practicing by yourself, um, mm-hmm. and you know, and this is a difficult thing with samba percussion instruments because you know your neighbors might not be so happy about you practicing the apiki <laughs> when you when you decide you want to pick it yeah. up and yeah. try this out, you know, and, uh, so, um, yeah. so, and tambourine too, but, uh, of course you can use the uh, muted heads and stuff like that on tambourine, but, um, and there are all sorts of ways to practice. hep is pretty tough though. You can't really, can't really do that one without the full sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's, uh, you know, but basically I, you know, what I, what I tell people to do at home is, uh develop their independence by, by stepping, by clapping different rhythms on top, getting polyrhythmic things going. Um, mm. if you have nothing, um, definitely work on your stick technique, uh, get a practice pad or, you know, mm-hmm. work on that, work on that, work on those fundamentals. And, um, all of that's going to help you to, to approach the more complex rhythms and be able to not think about your hands, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I tell that to people all the time. It's like, look at me, look at me, you know, don't look at your drum, and um, and it's your brain that's going to tell your body what to do, right? Mm. So you don't, you, you know, yes, you need to be holding the sticks or the mallets or whatever correctly and and have the right technique there. So for a while, you need to really concentrate on that, but then. At a certain point, no, 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 you don't, don't you're not thinking about your hands. You, the The rhythm is in your head. and and um, I think using the ancient technique of teaching those rhythms using vocalizations is really important hmm. because because the information then goes right into your brain. And I think it I think it really helps people remember the rhythms. Hmm. Uh, and of course, so what does you know, that look that... like?
1: You have them sing the parts, or yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The,
3: my fir- my first class on Wednesday, you know, I talked about basically what samba being a four beat measure, but felt in two four not four four, and you know, and we step, you know, do the four steps, and that we all do, and uh, and I said, all right, now we're gonna add another rhythm to this, and we're gonna clap our hands, palm of the mouth. Can, you, can we palm them out while we're stepping these four beats? So immediately, I want them to be feeling these rhythms in their body, hearing it and, and doing that, but also develop, starting to develop that independence that's absolutely essential to, to playing drums of any kind. Um, and everybody actually picked that up right away. And I was kind of surprised. And then I said, uh, well, congratulations, you're playing polyrhythmically right off the bat, you know, and everyone kind of laughed. But it's true. Uh, and so then the next step is to is to sing. Essentially, I use the kariteru uh, part. You know. Now, can we step, clap the palm of the mouth and sing katakiti tak katakiti at the same time? And that was tough. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. So, but I said, this is this is the kind of thing you can do at home with anytime, anywhere, mm-hmm. you know. And all of this is going to help you to be able to, A, feel the swing of samba, because this is one of the things that maybe you can play the drum, but are you really, can you get that swing? Because that is really, for a lot of people, hard to grab a hold of. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember years ago hearing a CD. It was a, a German Batucada group. And it, it was really German. <laughs> Sorry to say that, but it was just yeah. so, so stiff. It just had no no swing to it, you know. Yeah. And it, it was kind of like, uh, well, you could kind of put a punk group on top of it. It would have sounded great, <laughs> you know, but But... but, but <laughs> But you know, I just—I'm just saying. That, but so I try, really try, really hard on all at all times to to m- make sure that people are feeling that swing. So in terms of the vocalizations, you know, there's great uh, uh, history and tradition in that, uh, certainly in eastern in Indian classical music, because the tabla mm-hmm. players, actually all the players, mm-hmm. all the musicians have to. There are vocalism, vocal sounds for every tone of the tablas, and they uh, have to be able to sing those. They have to memorize all of that language in that way, and then be able to sing that. And again, back to records, I remember being fairly young and hearing a, a tabla player uh, on recording. And it was a live recording, and he so played cool. a, a very long, long raga on the tablas, just the tablas. And then the audience claps, and then he said, thank you very much. What I just played was, <speaking> <speaking> and he sang the whole thing, sang the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the audience mm-hmm. was silent at the end, because they could. it, it was astonishing i never heard anything like that before. Neither had I. And I don't know if you recall, but mm-hmm. Ailton, when he was there the first time, sang the whole, he sang the whole, as mm-hmm. much as he could, sang the entire Inheru for us before we played it, before we rehearsed it for the last time. Yeah. Yeah. He has everybody
1: so, sing it, go in the back and sing the whole thing before we yeah. go. Yeah, I started doing that too with before a performance. It's just taking everybody. Let's just sing through all the, yeah, all the things we're about to do. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of yeah. helps. It's it a memory. Equals, it's a
3: yeah, it's a memory yeah. uh, ga- I aid. It really really works. So, yes. so um, yeah, it's and and you know, there's this whole beautiful groups of subversos and uh barbatuques, you know, the whole uh, body percussion and samba jiboka, you know, it's the mouth, you know, making the sounds with your mouth. So it's it's not anything. It's not some sort of new thing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with those those two groups, but barbatuques
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. They do a lot of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Foot stomping and, and all kinds of yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. it's
3: it's there. But yeah, memory-wise, I think it, it really helps for students to learn and remember the rhythms.
1: Do you find when um, people leave the group, it's hard when you're running a small group, right, and you can't have a beginner class? that like some of the players who've been around a long time get bored, like waiting for, you know, new people as you cover the basics again. Do you find that you lose people from that?
3: Um, Not so far. Um, I've been very, Mm -hmm. very, very fortunate. Um, uh, A gentleman named Andy Young has been with me from the very beginning. And um, he's a very, very uh, patient, and calm person, and he is very uh, 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 giving. I mean, he's he's, he's, he's he mm. he he understands. I you know, I'm sure everyone can get a little yeah. frustrated at times because of the repetition and try, let's try that again. You know, <laughs> and it doesn't happen. But um, and the other person that who's right there with me now at this point is Doug Johnson, and he's great. I mean, he, yeah. he'll, he, and I was so happy he was able to be out in Portland. He goes there every year, but to be able to hook up with all of you in the Lions because uh, he then had the experience of being in a bigger, bigger ensemble and being able to really hear what that all sounds like. And, yeah, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, and be able to, you know, work with Brian too a little bit and everybody, you especially. I know you went to your Kaisha class. So,
2: mm-hmm. uh, you know,
3: he's really great too. So he, you know, he's, he's an advanced student essentially, but and a good player, mm-hmm. but, but he, mm-hmm. he helps other people, you know, he's, That's you know, great. This, this is the other thing I've said about Samba and Samba culture to all of my students is that uh, it is a community art form. And the person who really drove that home to me was uh, Mark Lamson, uh, when he taught mm-hmm. an intermediate class. And he said, look, we are all here <laughs> to help each other. And each one of you has to give 100% because, because if somebody falters for whatever reason, you have to be there to make sure that they can come find a place to come back in or, you know what I mean? Or, or, you know, so everyone has to at least have in their heart and their mind that I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give everything to this.
1: Was that his class in 2016, his intermediate? I think it was 2016. He taught this for a couple of years there, he taught this intermediate class that was so good.
3: Yeah, no, I think it was one earlier than 2016 because mm. I'm not sure I was there in 2016. But yes, mm. it, it you know it's the missing. It was the missing piece. They all yes. talked about it uh, because you you go from beginning batteria to advanced. It's kind of like whoa, Yeah, <laughs> you're not ready. Yeah. So yeah, he is a, an incredible instructor. And of course, he does that for a living. So, but um, that was one of the things. So I do talk about that. To my students too, which is mm. look, this we're all here, and and you know, right now in the world, it's with so much polarization and everything else. I think, you know, in my heart, I feel like Samba could save the world. You know, if we all were just like going in the right, you know, same direction, mm-hmm. trying to help each other and trying to um, boost each other and
2: mm-hmm. and
3: give give a little bit more. So, um yeah, I just you know, it's 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 really important, and yeah. I mean, I think I think about all the people in Brazil who. You know, couldn't couldn't do carnival. It's just it's just insane. I mean, that's a lot of people's whole livelihood. So yeah, right. Um, it's just very sad. Um, and I, I know that being Brazilian people, they will come back and, and start doing it again at some point. You know, because they're it's, doing it it's, now. It's yeah, happening. it's their it's, yeah. it's their life. You know, it's their mm-hmm. life. Um, but there's an old quote. It's like if you want to learn about Brazilian. Culture of Brazilian people just listen to the samba. It's all there, mm-hmm. and it's and there's some truth to that. There really is some truth to that. So,
1: so now I got to plug Hichimo Solidario. So china Du that we've interviewed a couple times, has um, started a a nonprofit to help feed members of baterias from Grupo Especial and Grupo A. So, um, go to our website, everybody, and donate to his program. There, it, they're providing basic Food and toiletries and things like that for people who really need it. So this is this is a great opportunity to give back to the culture that has given us so much. So I got to put that yes. little plug in there. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: very good. Yes, please go do that, everybody.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Andrew, you've been doing this for a long time. Um, what I think I know the answer to this question, but what inspires you to keep going? What inspires you to? You know, it's a lot of work doing, running these groups and doing this stuff.
3: I absolutely love playing Samba. I absolutely love playing Samba. I, I, uh, you know, I mentioned I have some back issues and whatnot. I, I tell you, man, if I'm playing, everything else goes away. You know, it's just, it just, everything mm. else, any trouble or anything that's mm-hmm. bothering me or whatever, it just, it just goes away and I'm, I'm completely, you know, embraced by this stuff and i just you know this music and i just it's just i love it i love it so much and i i i even if even after yesterday you know it was just pouring down rain. we were relatively dry but it was pretty miserable 48 <laughs> degrees or whatever you know we're out there and it's just sounds it's like just my like, what are we doing what are we
1: doing
2: <laughs> and,
3: but you know honestly i'm just smiling because you know as mm-hmm. i said we got two two new people they they uh, play african drums and uh and uh you know so majid he's great that he you know but he's just learning i mean he's just coming into this stuff so uh you know i had him play the chimbao and because he plays djembe so it's pretty natural and, and i kind of sprung it on his son uh, yusuf that he's going to play hepiki with me right so uh, <laughs> i thought just just for the samba reggae. so i'm literally just teaching him how to play some parts while we're playing And he was picking it up, picking it up. And, uh, you know, it was just it was just really fun. I mean, I just every time I play, I just am am happy. I just it just makes me really, really happy. It makes me feel, you know, challenged, but also uh, just just makes me feel really, really great. Makes me feel positive about the people I'm playing with and people that are listening and, you know, maybe dancing. And, you know, that this has been something for me forever, you know, all the bands I've played in to, you know, to see people enjoying themselves because we're moving them, you know, and in a, in a good way. And, you know, that, that's really what it's about. And yeah, there, you know, there's times, there's frustrating things, there's, you know, things that happen, but, you know, I can't let it really get me down. It's um, because, I just, I love it so much. It's, Mm -hmm. it just care. It carries me, you know, it really Mm -hmm. does. The whole thing just carries me through. And this, this is something I'm hoping to get from the class. And I always hope this with any group I'm working with is, yeah, I want them to have that feeling that they're, they're making this music, they're driving this forward, you know, Mm. but also to get to the point where all of a sudden, Things are clicking with the whole group, and everything's locked in really beautifully, and it's swinging like a like really a like crazy. And all of a sudden, the music starts carrying you. Yes, you know, and and that even if it's just for a brief moment to feel that to and, feel and that, yes, is, is just the the it's just it's it's the best high I can think of. You know, I really it's just really yes. great. So that's what I that's what I shoot for, and that's my goal always with with teaching people is to get them to get that.
1: It's so and, rare that that thing happens. It does, I know. but I know. It, man.
3: I know. And imagine doing that with 250 to 300 drummers. I, it's, just, it's, just, yeah. it's mind blowing to me what, what happens in, in, in any, in all through Brazil, the, the different baterias that are playing and groups that are playing blocos And it's just amazing.
1: I think the director can have a really heavy influence on whether that happens or not. Like if the students have a grasp of the material and they feel comfortable, they're not being pushed too hard to learn stuff too fast and they've they've really got the material down. And then the director can put that energy in there. Like Jonas used to do that. So like Mm -hmm. playing with Jonas, like all of a sudden it was like everybody was out of their bodies. Like he had, you know, obviously he's charismatic, he's tall, he has these amazing, he's hilarious and has that star inside of him, as Bruno Moraes said, like he's yeah. he's carrying a star in his soul that he can give to you while you're playing. Like, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes.
3: Yes. And that, he's one of the, one of the, you know, the instructors of people there that I learned a lot from yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and, and had, you know, and I have almost, almost no Portuguese. I, I mean, I can't converse uh, which I feel bad about because so many Brazilians I've met, you know, work really hard and they speak English. Quite well, and so I just feel kind of sheepish about that. But I'm working on it, working on it. But um, but yeah, he so he really couldn't he, he couldn't really converse in English either. So, uh, but I, I played in that batería, and then he wanted me to play. Uh, that was the time I was there for two weeks, and he 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 came up to me. We I think everyone was pretty drunk uh, <laughs> Saturday <laughs> night. Saturday night, right? And uh, he come up and he said. Monday, 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 or no, maybe it was Sunday night. He goes, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, basically he's saying, Kaisha, Kaisha, you know, you're going to come play Kaisha again. And I just, I just looked at him and went, no, no, man, I got to go do something different, right? And he's, he, But he really, really wanted me to play Kaisha again. And I think
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, I actually I said, okay, okay, okay. So I go, I went there to the, to the section all that morning and I hadn't warmed up or anything. And I just, I just was like, blah, it was a mess. It was just terrible. <laughs> but, you know, I warmed up and I got it and everything. But, but, uh, later I went up and I just said, look, I, I want to do other, some other things because I'm here for two weeks. And I, I thanked him profusely. I, you know, I said, it's been absolutely incredibly wonderful. And I'm, you know, really fortunate to have met you and, and been in this little, in this little bateria, you know? So yeah, he, he is, he is all energy. Yeah. A star in his soul. Yeah. That is great. I love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it, yeah, the, again, so these are the people that I've learned from. And so I take the lesson of how they, how they approached it and try to apply that as much as possible. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Diana. Another thing we ask Andrew is uh, what's a very memorable moment in this Long history of music that you've been playing. Hmm. Anything that sticks out, either funny, strange, you know, heartwarming? Sounds like yesterday was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, warm wouldn't have been even been in the equation yesterday. But, um, oh, my goodness. You know, there's so many, uh, really, honestly, so many moments. uh, um, Hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's really hard to pick any one, you know, it, re- it really is, uh,
1: um, or a couple. Yeah. It doesn't uh, have to be a, just
3: one. You know, honestly, some of the, a couple of the really kind of beautiful moments have been, um, playing these wait-ins. Uh, at the beach uh, with Pat, Pat Gunn, mm-hmm. the, the Gullah historian that, and, and just the people coming there and being able to play those rhythms and, and just, it, it, it's, it's very spiritual. And, um, I think that's very, very, uh, amazing. Um, you know, honestly also being in any class with George Alabe, uh, for the condamble and mm-hmm. uh, the singing classes, uh, especially under all those redwoods and in that environment, is is really uplifting. Uh, that that is also very special for me. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, I just being a leader, uh, being up front in a parade or something and just looking back and seeing everybody just concentrating really hard and playing their, their heart out, you know, uh, and, and getting ready, giving the signal and getting into it and having a break go down just perfectly. You know, that, Mm -hmm. those, those things are really, really, it's like, I always, you know, shout out, you know, yes, you know, or whatever it (laughs) is, you know, you did it, you did it. Right. Um, yeah. And just that, you know, also there's just that, Feeling of total physical exhaustion at the end of these things, and uh, uh, but just like no, we're going to play some more. Like after the after the uh, Pride Parade, we went through the whole thing and got to the end. I mean, it was a long walk, and people were at one point we had to run because the lead vehicle just went too fast. And it, it was just <laughs> there's always that
1: moment. Yeah, you. Can... Oh my god! Like
3: you know, and and I could hear I could hear I could hear my third surdo behind me running. No yeah. way. <laughs> So you know, I, if there weren't any, we were at a point where we could do that to catch up, and I just yeah, said, yeah. "Come on, come on, run, know. yeah, so, run." You know, so uh, in fact, we invented <laughs> invented our own little rhythm that was based on something I heard on you know on a website somewhere called "Run." So that was good. <laughs> oh, no, that's um, perfect. But uh, but we uh, you know those kind of moments are really funny. Uh, yeah, she was she was she was incredulous that we were going to have to run. <laughs> But we we got to the end of that, and every i mean, I was just beat. I mean, physically, I was just was like, wow, you know. And we got to the end, and and uh, everyone was just smiling and kind of all just hyped up. And uh, so I just played a shamata, and we just played, played for another half an hour, standing mm-hmm. there yes. on the mm-hmm. street, you know, and just and everyone was just they played better actually then than they did in the parade, <laughs> right? <laughs> all warmed up, but um, yeah, things like that. You know, it's just really fun. Uh, one moment, the first time we did the Starlight Parade, a uh, uh, couple things there that were really special. Uh, uh, to, uh, there was a high school band that was warming up in those park blocks uh,
1: mm-hmm. where they
3: where they start out, and uh, and we were listening to them. They were good. They were really good, and it was really cool. Uh, and so we are clapping for them and everything. And then Brian says, "Okay, let's let's run through it." You know, so he calls us in and we go at it and all, I just saw all these high schoolers. They just started wandering over looking at us like,
2: what the, <laughs> <It's happening. laughs> what
3: is this? What is this? Right. That was really pretty cool. I mean, that, that was really neat. Um Yeah. So that was great. Uh, yeah. There are many, many, many moments and I'll probably remember a bunch of them
1: more later after yeah. this
3: that i didn't tell you about but um yeah. but in general it's just it's just what what really gets me going is seeing people get it you know and, mm-hmm. and 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 feel confident with what they're doing and then then they're then they're at that point where there is that possibility that everything's going to click just perfectly and we're just the whole the whole rhythm's going to carry us down the street or wherever we are you know and just it's going to work and um yeah as you say it doesn't always happen but even if it happens for a bit, you know, it's like, okay, did you, oh, and I always, I always remind everybody, you remember when that happened and we did this, <laughs> how did that feel, yeah. you know? Cause I want them to know that, to recognize that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good to point it out when it does happen. Oh so yeah, you know, definitely. Just to acknowledge yeah. that you're not the only one that just felt that thing that just happened. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 And it's, it that, is that, important. we all felt that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: And that goes back to the motivating your people to, you know, the people in the group to motivating them. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's really important. And, and I, I love what Al Yilton said, says sometimes, you know, he gathered us all together at one point and said, uh, I need you. Yeah. He said mm. that I, I I need you. You know, we, we we have this thing. We 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 all have done it. We know it. You know, so whatever happens tomorrow or today or whatever it was when he was speaking to us, you know, he said, whatever happens, it's going to be fine you mm-hmm. all you all have done it already so it's okay you can do mm-hmm. it again mm-hmm. uh but yeah when he said I, I need you you know that was really um important um, yeah it's true the the last time i was there uh i uh i was playing kaisha and uh aylton was uh, bateria director and I just, I felt like I could not play to the tempo. I was just having a really, really hard time. And, um, to the point where I just, I went down to the Creek and just sat there mm-hmm. for a while and just thought, nah, I I, I don't want to let everybody down. You know, I just have to, I'm going to have to back out of this thing. Cause I just, I don't feel like I don't think I could do it. And of course we're all in little pods. So I'm the Kaisha player in that pod. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, well, there was one pretty close to me, but, um, and in fact, I, I, I said to her, I can't remember who it was now, but at the end of the dress rehearsal or whatever it was, I just said, uh, this was the year when he, the Jimmy Biala brought the, we had the tape recording.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah which
3: which actually turned out to be an awesome thing because yeah, actually it, it, it really was helpful. But um, And so I, I just turned to her after we were done and I said, oh man I don't know I don't, I don't want to let everybody down I don't think I can do this and of course in true Brazilian, Brazil camp style she goes no 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 you have to play you have to play <laughs> yeah so I said okay well you know all right all right but then yeah I went down and really gave it some thought and then uh, later on I just I, I oh it was a Thursday night so we we it was the faculty show and mm-hmm. um and I just I was sitting in the amphitheater kind of up high there and uh brian came over and then uh Aielton came over and there i was sitting between i had msj Aylton and and brian and they had a big sleeping bag i think Aylton brought and he wrapped it around all of us <laughs> and we're just sitting there right and i i, I said uh, Aylton, i i don't i don't i i told him that my you know worry and i didn't want to mess things up and not not play right and he said no 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 you you, you have to be there you have to play he said, "Come find me tomorrow morning. I'll help you. I'll help you. You know, mm. whatever, whatever it takes." And you know, Brian was very encouraging too. And I just, you know, sat through a couple of performances and and just felt that support and energy, and it 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 uh, was just really great. And I just, mm. I turned, I turned to both of them. Went, I'll be there tomorrow. I'll be there. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do it, right? I have to. I put all of this time in and all this all this work, and I'm going to be there and I'm going to do it. And I did. And you know that helped me to play to that tempo. But I gotta, I gotta tell you, it's really interesting. I think he dropped the tempo. That that (laughs) (laughs) just, just a couple of points, and I would not have put it past him to do that for one person. I really, I mean, I don't know that he did that. Maybe he felt the whole group needed to
1: drop back a a little bit to swing. Yeah.
3: But and I probably was. I'm not going to put myself on that that kind of in that place that he did for me, but you know, I think I think it was the whole group and he wanted it to swing, and I think we weren't swinging at that tempo that we were at. But, um, yeah, that it just you know, man, I have met so many incredible people, and that that's really what keeps me going too is to know that there's this you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people that do this. You know, all around the world. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's you know, I meet people that just know nothing about it. And it, that's a little frustrating, too. I just think, wow, you know, there are millions of people around the world that play samba like this. I mean, Finland, for God's sakes, you know. Like,
1: in Singapore. Yeah. In the Philippines. Korea, uh, yeah. And, everywhere, and, everywhere. And, and, and there's one in Nigeria, right, Diana? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny that the films you see of, as videos of uh, Finnish, Finland groups playing in the street and the group is just grooving and they're dancing and jumping up and down. And all the Finnish people that I've known are pretty reserved, um, you know, in terms of emotion and the, the crowds are, are not. They're not smiling <laughs> They're just it's it's this at least the ones I've seen, it's this really funny contrast between right. they're just like, these what people is that? people yeah. like letting go completely in the street and playing playing these drums like wow, like mad, you know. And and playing them well too, you know. And then the, the crowds just sort of upright erect, you know, standing there watching. They're not they're not right. maybe maybe a slight smile now and again, but that's about it. Hmm. Very very funny. So that must be tough. I gotta say, that yeah, tough be. crowd. <laughs> <laughs> now it doesn't mean they're not enjoying it. Honestly, I'm sure they are. So, yeah. Sometimes
1: when you just see something for the first time, you don't know what to, you don't know how to react. You're just <laughs> you know, you're trying just to like take stare, it in. Yeah, you're like, yeah. what's happening?
3: That's true yeah. too. Uh, that wasn't mm-hmm. my problem. First time I saw it, I knew how to react. Oh yeah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. So that was great.
1: Yeah. yeah. So Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. As yeah. we wrap up, is there anything that, so a lot of people listen to this podcast who are either running groups of their own or thinking of starting groups. Um, is there anything you wish you had known, um, when you started?
2: Um,
3: well, um, What advice do you have? I guess a a lot of things in terms of the group here. um, There's nothing you, there's not, you have to have a, you know, a good knowledge of the material, obviously. um, And you have to be confident in that because um, it's embarrassing if you, you know, try to teach something and it's incorrect or whatever. So it's really important to have, a good knowledge. And don't try to teach something that you don't know how to do, obviously, mm, um,
2: mm-hmm.
3: even if you think you might know how to do it. Um, I think it's very, very important. This I've learned from the teachers I've had is that whatever information you're going to teach, it's got to be, you have to be absolutely sure that it's correct and mm. that you're, do, you're doing that, you're respecting the the tradition and the, the music. Um, mm. So that's very, very important. Yeah. Um, Winging it, eh, it's not you're, you're doing everyone a disservice, you're certainly doing the music a disservice and the history mm-hmm. of it. So, um, so that's important, I think that's very important. Um, start a group, uh, you know, that's <laughs> what I would say, and uh, you know, try uh, getting the instruments now. Thank thanks to folks like you, Courtney, and, and a lot of other people, is so much easier. Oh my god, it, you know even finding any source for a Brazilian instrument back in the day was very, very difficult. yeah, you'd be like, Oh, I know so-and-so they've got a sourdough. Really? Oh, you know, it's like, you know, a (laughs) sourdough. So, so, so there's really, there's really no excuse now because uh, you know, the instruments are all available. So um, you know, it does take time. Sometimes, you know, beginners are not going to go out and buy an instrument. Some do Uh, some, some, don't, they're not really sure this is something they want to do. Um, be generous with the information that you know solidly. Um, be generous with your students. Uh, mm. tr- always, always go, please go back, do the reading, understand mm. where this tradition comes from, what it's all about. Um, you don't have to hit it hit them over the head with it, but it's really important for people to understand the roots of where this music comes from mm-hmm. and what it represents yeah. in Brazil. So, so this is this is very important. Um, as an instructor, I think that will inform a lot, and you need you need to have that background. There's there are a lot of great books, uh, a lot of great information, and persist. You know, mm-hmm. if it's something you love to do, that will carry you through almost anything. And mm-hmm. even if you have one student or two students or three people. Um, there's a lot you can do. Um, it, it won't be a full bateria, but you know this is part of the reason I really started to look at Pagogi as as something to do as well because uh, you mm. can do a lot with a very little with the Pagogi mm-hmm. instruments and um, and and make a lot of really great music. Now, without a mm-hmm. Cavaquinho, it's really not Pagogi. So, <laughs> so this is the missing part. But in terms of the the rhythmic uh, rhythm instruments. Um, it, it's you can do a lot with a few people and um, and it's the same it's not the same techniques but the rhythms are the same and everything represents, you know all the battery or instruments are are represented in mm-hmm. in the Pag- in the pagoji style so so uh, and in and fact the surdu the technique for surdu in pagoji is really advanced I mean yes and so you you know you've got to really that's that's a beautiful thing there. And and, mm-hmm. and I experienced that one time because I think we were in some sort of big, cold basement warehouse <laughs> rehearsing with the Lions. And Georgie was there. And, yes, the surdu section was all high. And then uh, – uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I can't remember. It might have been there. Anyway, I was playing sur- surdu at one – no, no, I was not playing surdu. Someone else was playing surdu. But uh, he, he stopped everything, and he goes back there to the surdu section. He was already not happy because of the state of mind. and, um, and uh, he he had got the mallet from the player, whoever it was, and he started to play the sword.
2: Hmm.
3: All of it, all of it. <laughs> right <laughs> He played all of it, exploring and playing all the different parts of the head that you know like mm-hmm. the, like you do in Pagoji and uh, he played this beautiful passage of, of rhythm. Handed the mallet back to the person and said, and he he said one word, he said, and that's it, right? That's Mm. what it is. This is surdu. What you just heard is surdu. So you have a long way to go, but you needed to hear what this this instrument is capable of of doing Mm. in, in the right hands. So, cool. so yeah. So yeah, th- these are all things that are just really special. So yeah, uh, you know, I think uh, that's an, that's an option for people who don't have a lot of people is to, to a little delve into some of the, the pandero, which is, contains all of it, you know, yeah. uh, uh, um, Deep dive, uh, and, yeah. and, and to, to be able to play the tambourine in that, in that, in that context, you know, it, it really is, is good training for playing in a bateria. It's a different technique, but it's, but it's really, really important and in some ways i think maybe people might be able to pick up the swing of samba maybe even a little quicker with the, with that form i don't really know i've never Their really... neighbors will be happier right <laughs> well there is that there is that but and and the technique actually in some ways is very difficult to get to get to those upper levels that and the independence that you have to develop for that is is, mm-hmm. is critical so mm-hmm. so so i don't know I, that's the other piece of advice you know you, you, if you don't have a big group You know, you can also just you can also just if you if you get really good at individual instruments or you get somebody who's really, really can play the surdu, one surdu, a surdu, kaisha, hepiki, tambourine combination is awesome. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's and and if you get some, uh, you know, you get somebody that can play the three surdus all at once. I mean. Umamu, you know, this, uh, Thalita Santos's group is, mm-hmm. that's their percussion section. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it works. It works mm-hmm. very well. So you don't have to have a giant group to really get something going, but it does take some dedication and time practicing and, mm-hmm. and all of that to put it together. So you yeah. got to start somewhere though. So start, that's what I would say. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just start, start and do it, start do and do it. And um, do you know, thing. and, uh, I think Brian Davis even said that one time on some interview. He just said, "Start. Do it. Go do it." Yeah. Does that sound like Brian? Yes. It does. <laughs> Hi Brian. <laughs> Brian. <laughs> Miss you, man. All right.
1: So, is there anything you'd like people to know that we didn't ask any questions, we didn't ask you that you'd like the audience to know? Any promotion?
3: Um, well, I'm 3000 mile, I'm in Savannah, Georgia, so I don't know if you have much of a listening audience here, but I'm going to try to get that um, bulked up a little bit, um, with this group I have coming in. Um, Um, so yeah, we, you know, I have ongoing classes. I think, uh, we started with a workshop and then six classes, uh, every Wednesday night, uh, at the Cultural Arts Center in Savannah, Georgia. Um, and, uh the facility director was really happy that I had a full class and he said to me that he hopes it was just the beginning. So, um, that's good. That's good news. And, um, we'll see about noise level or sound level. Uh, there may be some conflict there, but we'll, we'll work it out. Um, and other than that, uh, just please support, uh, the folks in Brazil as Courtney Mm -hmm. gave you a link to do that. Um, God, if you've never been to Brazil camp, uh, it's coming back. Don't worry and go. Um, you, you can obviously go to Brazil as well, but uh, right now might not be the time. Um, or maybe it is the time. I don't know. Uh, depends on how you view things. But uh, uh, but honestly, Brazil camp, you will never find uh, in one place a collection of people to learn from uh, in one place like that, it, it, you know, in you'd have to travel a long way in Brazil all over the place to find that situation. Mm-hmm. So, right. so that's a grand opportunity. If you really want to dive in and, and, and explore this music, um, it's a worth, it's worth going to that mm-hmm. uh, California, California, Brazil camp. You can go online mm-hmm. and, and connect with that. Um, yep. And uh, certainly online um, uh, so many resources. Uh, I can't really, Name a lot of them off. There's so many, but um, now there are a lot of resources to learn the instruments, techniques, and things online. Um, please support those people, <laughs> however you can. Subscribe mm-hmm. or whatever it is, support them. Um, this is how they they live, uh, especially during this last few years, couple of years, and uh, and uh, you know, just dive in there get in it and, and, and learn. Uh, most, a lot of those are in Portuguese. Uh, so that, you know, if you have a language barrier, it's really okay. Um, it's pretty clear. I I don't, I don't understand everything that's being said, but you know, which is too bad because I think I miss a few things that are, you know, little hints and what kinds of things, subtle things that are being said. But as far as, you know, learning to play these drops you're going to be watching someone playing it and you're going to repeat it and they're going to repeat it again. And then you're going to repeat it. And this is how you're going to learn these things anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and, uh, just zero in on what the person's hands are doing, what they're, what they're saying, what they're, the sounds and everything else. And uh, a lot of these folks are, are great teachers online. Um, please go to the people mostly in Brazil. Um, as I said, that's going to be in Portuguese, but that's the source you want to go to. There's yeah. an awful lot of stuff out there on YouTube that's mm-hmm. just not right yeah, that <laughs> and as well. not yeah. good. And so, you know, if you see some guy, you know, I can't say whether they are or not. There's some people that know how to play and, you know, people that are not from Brazil. But um, you go on there, definitely weight your choices towards even if it's in Portuguese to somebody who's, who's a a professional uh, musician and rhythmist in in Brazil, because you're going to learn the the correct things Mm -hmm. about how Mm -hmm. to play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think, I think I answered the question. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you you
1: so much, Andrew. That was fun.
3: I I really enjoyed this and uh, I'm really looking forward to giving both of you a big hug soon Mm -hmm. and, and hopefully in California.
2: Exactly.
3: Yeah, we'll get there.
1: If you would like to learn more about Andrew Hartzell, you can go to our website, theBrazilianBeat.com, and see his episode page in catch all the links to his social media and he's got a website coming out soon and we will put that up once it's available. But um yeah. Go samba uh, go samba <laughs> theBrazilianbeat.com to see all of that. Courtney, do we have any shout outs? Yes, shout out to Vamala. So Vamala is the Asama group up in Seattle. They're about a three and a half hour drive from here and they have been coming down to the Lions of Atacata classes and this past weekend we drove up there and they had a big potluck and a pagogi. it was a lot of fun and then we went to their rehearsal out in gasworks park and it was the water maybe lake union i don't know what all the bodies of water are there but it was oh you know the city lights in the background it was just beautiful and they're fun and wonderful and it was just a really good time so thank you Vamala.
0: You know, we mentioned Kofi uh, earlier in our podcast, but if you would like to support us in another way, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts, give us your five-star ratings, and please tell a friend.
1: And now it's time for Dica do Gia. Dun, dun, dun.
4: So here is our Jika do Gia. So, our dica do dia is uh, when we ask questions in Portuguese and very informally, like when we're talking to a friend, like very informally, uh, sometimes we're asking a question with a WH word. So, it would be like in English, you would be where or when. Like in Portuguese would be onde, por que, qual. So when we have a question and we use one of these words at the beginning and we're speaking informally with a friend, uh, sometimes we add the, the, the words o and ki. O and then qui, Q-U-E, right after the, the WH word. Um, so then, for example, uh, if, you, if, you, if I want to say uh, onde você está, where are you? Right? Onde você está? Then if I'm talking to a friend really fast and informally, then I would add é que at, uh, after onde. Then you would be onde é que você está. Onde é que você está. And then what is interesting is that você, uh, when we speak informally, uh, we, we just say the se part, not the vo, so the the Vou is deleted from there and then está is only tá so then the question onde você está becomes onde é que você está onde é que, você está?
2: Onde
4: é que você está onde é que você está onde, onde é que você está onde é que você está means where are you so and if and you the are mouthful. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so then if you are um, at home, and then uh, you're looking for someone, then you would say, for example, I would say, Diana, onde é que você está? Onde é que você está? Que você está? Uh, so then, um, the é que doesn't really mean anything. It, there's mm-hmm. no meaning. But in English, you would translate to, I think, uh, where is it that you are?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
4: But you don't usually use that term. Um, form right that construction in English is not so common. In Portuguese it's really common. So onde é que você está? I think it also creates this nice rhythm right. to the question. Yes. Like onde for example if I say uh, o que você quer o que você quer it means like what do you want? Then we would say informally uh, o que é que você quer. And that, depending on how you say this, then you can be, you can sound very annoyed as well. You know, like if someone (laughs) is calling you like, Courtney, 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 and you can say like, I mean, like, what is it that you want? Uh, So it's, it's used in in informal, informal conversation. It's, but it's pretty common. Um, and I think that if you are not aware that the eki is there, then you're like, ojeque-se-ta, se ta What does that mean?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And it's, it's just eki in there.
1: After you taught this in our class, I it, I started hearing it a lot in in podcasts that are in Portuguese where um, a couple people are like interviewing a samba school mystery or something like that. I heard it a lot after mm-hmm. you had explained, Explain this in the class. So I think this is a good one. Thank
4: you. Yeah, said nice. that, That's good. Yeah, it's pretty common. I mm-hmm. I use it a lot too, without really thinking about it. Sure. Yeah. So this was our Jikadujia. Dun dun. So good.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and we're back. Announcements. So Lions of Batacada have found a home, at least for now, with Saramon House, a nonprofit group that supports arts in Portland. So we are excited to have a physical space indoors. It's nice and big so we can be spread apart and have our masks on, and, and it's got good airflow and everything. So we're excited to be there. So thank you, Saramon House. And also I wanted to say one more time, Brazil Day, December 18th. If you are in Portland... Go to Rhythm Traders at 11.30 a.m. We're doing a free class. And there's going to be a raffle. We're raffling off a of Kaisha. All proceeds go to Hichimo Solidario. I should have mentioned that in the beginning. So, um, yeah, red Kaisha. is exactly like the one that I play. So it's red and it has holes in it. And it sounds really good. It's a powder-coated steel drum. And it's kind of a deeper sound than most. Six strings, deeper sound. It sounds really good and crispy and wonderful. So check that out good Christmas color. Yes, exactly. (laughs) December 18th. Brazil Day. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Take it easy. Ciao.